Hey guys, welcome to Calvary HSM. We are a place where we want to make disciples who live and love like Jesus. So we hope you enjoy this podcast. Good evening, HSM. How are you guys doing? Great, great, great. Um, if you're here for the first time, my name is Aaron Kajumba. I serve as a high school pastor. Uh, thank you, sir. Uh, we exist here at HSM to make disciples who live and love like Jesus. And we have been going through this core series, Calvary Core Series, which are really these key statements that tell us who our church is and who we are as believers. It's kind of like how when you say things like the early word catches the, or let's try another one. We are farmers, or every kiss begins with, you guys are too young, stop. Okay, the point is, these are key words that we say often uh, that mean things that hold true to us. And for us today, we're talking about how saved people serve other people. Say it with me, saved people serve people, right? And so that we believe as a believers here at Calvary Community Church, uh, so much so that our elders wrote this and put it together for us as a statement of truth. I'm going to read it for you together. and We can look at it on the screen. It says, we see a church filled with disciples who utilize their spiritual gifts, abilities, passions, and experiences to serve the world and build up the church, just as Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. We will become a people for, for whom serving is as natural as breathing, and this will play out in both informal everyday circumstances as well as in organized ministry programs on our campus, in our community, and around the world. For all of us, this begins with understanding our spiritual gifts, hearts, passions, and personality, and then leveraging those for the sake of the world. So save people, serve people. It will be as normal and for us as breathing. And that's why we're talking about this this evening. Now, uh, we're going to open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. If you guys have Bibles, please flip over there. Your iPhone, iPad, Google, whatever. Our Wi-Fi is free. Log on. The password is not my name, but you can get on for free. Easy peasy. And go to Matthew chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, we can gift you a Bible. We have one on my left, your right, a gift from us to you because God's people delight in God's word. Now, in Matthew chapter 14, you're going to see the, the story or the biblical account of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And this, like, it just eyes up real quick. This is a miracle that's in every single part of our gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record the feeding of the 5,000. I don't believe it's just happenstance or mistake. I believe the Holy Spirit's trying to mark for us as believers a key point, how each of us are to serve from generation to generation. And so from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see this image of Jesus sending his disciples out to feed and to serve people in that context. And so open your Bibles to Matthew 14. When you get there, say Amen. All right, for the 14 who are there, verse 13 says, when Jesus said, or Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. Now the question is, what had happened? What did Jesus hear had happened? If you read a few verses before, we find that John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, had just had his head cut off and carried to a platter to uh, Herod's wife. 
And so he is feeling the pain and brokenness of losing his cousin who's been brutally murdered by this evil king. Then we read later on in the book of John that Jesus was working, on, working and doing miracles in the area and needed time to rest in the book of John. We read in the book of Luke that the disciples or the apostles, these were the first time they are actually called apostles. They're out there serving, going out two by two, uh, casting out demons, doing miracles. And yes, even Judas Iscariot, all these people doing all these miracles and they come back and Jesus wants them to rest. Even Mark and Luke tells us these people needed time to rest. The point is... It was a busy, busy time. This scripture tells us that these people saw Jesus looking for a place to rest, to chill, to hang out, to calm down, to get away from the noise of his life, to actually grieve his cousin's death. And as he's going on this lake, these people run along the side of the lake and get there before him. And when he gets there, he doesn't see them as an obstacle. He sees them, and the Bible says he has the heart of a shepherd. He sees them as sheep without a shepherd. He has compassion for them. It says it this way in verse 14. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sicknesses. In other scriptures, it says he taught them many things. So he's tired. He's grieving. He has a lot of things going on in his life. But he sees his people and he decides, I'm going to serve them. I have compassion on them. I love them. And I believe that we are to be a people who serve others because we have been compelled by love. The Bible tells us that we love because Christ loved us first. That's where we get the energy, the actual uh, com compulsion to actually love other people because we ourselves have been loved so well. Now, let's define love. Can love can be open, it can be weird, it can be defined as many different things in our context. But this is why I define love and I believe in a biblical way. That love is an unselfish decision to seek someone's highest good even at your own expense. That's what I see love is. That love is seeking someone's highest good, even at your own expense. Meaning it's going to cost you something. At its core, love is self-sacrificial. It costs you more. It's not about you. It's about other people. It's about being exactly like Jesus. We see that as you do this, Matthew 14, 15, these, as this evening approached, as the disciples are hanging out, the disciples came to him and they said to him, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. So here's the scene. Jesus is out in the middle of the wilderness, right? It's out there dark. It's cold. Um, it's actually getting late. Now, I don't know what late is for you, but late could be 9, 10, 12. For some of you, 4 p.m., you need a nap early, early. It's okay. It's fine, right? But when it's late for you, it's late for you. That's the reality. If you're like, you're five minutes late, it's five minutes late, and it's on your last nerve. It's late, right? Second thing we see, that these people are hungry. Now, for some of us, when we get hungry, you don't want to get hungry, get what? Hangry, thank you. So you're both, it's both late, they're hungry, they're hangry, and you're in the wilderness. You're out in a place where there's desolation. That means there's no Cracker Barrel, no uh, In-N-Outs, no Trader Joe's. I'm sorry, for the, don't throw rocks, I'm so sorry. No Starbucks, woo. Anyway, like, like, there's nothing, right? There's nothing out there. They're hungry, they, they, they need something, they need sustenance. And you might say it's difficult for us to understand what it means to be in a space that is a wilderness space. But why? Because practically we live in a place with a lot of providence, right? You guys have the opportunity, even as young people, to get licenses, to buy cars. 
right? You can get a loan. Even if you have someone co-sign you, the ability to even have that is insane. Like right now, you can go down the street to McDonald's and buy food for a dollar and some change. Like that's wild. In most places, that's not a possibility, right? You have all these things happening for you. For you, the understanding of wilderness is not the same. However, I want you to believe that lie because the reality is we are living in a wilderness. This is what I define a wilderness as, or a few ways we can define a wilderness. Because we are living, indeed, in a wilderness. A wilderness is a place where there's fatherlessness running rampant. Meaning there's spaces here in our community where father and mother are arguing and they're separated. There's no family unity. And so you have people living in divorced spaces and they need to have father figures or mother figures. Or a place where the resources aren't enough or even equal for everyone around us. Which is why we have Fresh Market here in our campus where some of you guys serve on Tuesdays. Or three, a place where food insecurity is a reality. Or even four, where there is a need for fill in the blank. Wherever there is a need, that is a wilderness space. A space where there is a, ne- a necessary need for God to come in and to fill it and to give it life and breath and purpose. We are living in a space where there is a wilderness. And the truth is that service itself is hardly ever at our convenience. Meaning, you'll be in the wilderness, you have people who come up and need something from you. No one ever tries to borrow money at the right time. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, no one ever needs help at your convenience. It's always at their convenience. Service is hardly ever at our convenience. But in serving self-sacrificially, the reality is this, that even as we serve this God in the middle of all these, the lack of, or uh, at, a, at a convenience that's not our own, that it's always worth it. In the eyes of Christ, in the eyes of a believer, service is never at our own convenience, but it's always worth it. And in serving sacrificially this particular way, you're learning to live and love like Jesus. Why? Because you're giving of yourself. Because reality is comfort the enemy of growth. One of the greatest ways for us to grow as believers is doing this, simply learning to give ourselves to others. Because comfort will always be the enemy of growth. How many guys go to the gym? There you go. I see hands, right? I see that, whew, that bulk cover. I see you. Okay. Right? The point is like you are in a space where you go to the gym. Why? And you work out and you put in the time because you're trying to grow stronger, to grow faster, to grow bigger, whatever it is, right? But you have to put in the time. And the reality is for us to do just that, you have to be a person who serves others, whose focus is not themselves. This is an acronym I grew up hearing called J-O-Y. It was Jesus first, others, and then yourself. By focusing on others and Jesus first, the Lord, the Lord will give you full joy, joy that will be uncomparable to anything in this world. The next verse, verse 16, tells us this, that this Jesus replied to his disciples, they do not need to go away. Instead, you give them something to eat. Now, I'm sure the disciples were mad confused. Why? Because Jesus has done all these miracles, all this stuff, and they come to him, right? And I think, honestly, it's a good thing for us to come to Jesus with our needs and our concerns and our prayers. In fact, the Bible tells us that the prayer of a righteous man avails much. We expect you to bring things to the Lord in prayer. In fact, there's a song that says, take it to the Lord in prayer and old hymn. We are to have this grace of going into the, the presence of our Father, our gracious King, and ask Him anything we want, and He's promised to give it to us. But sometimes the truth is this. Sometimes we pray to God for the answer when He has placed you there to be the answer. 
You're praying for change and all these things to happen, but God has actually placed you to be the answer to bring healing and wholeness and peace and unity in places that are dead. The kingdom is meant to be expanded through you. That's what happens. God wants to use you to make change on the earth. That's why he says that, that you will do even greater things than me. That's what Jesus says. Can you imagine? Jesus walked on water, literally raised from the dead himself. Like he, he heals people. He preaches the gospel and people are saved. He says, greater things you will do than me. Why? Because there's more of you. You are to be many Jesuses, many Christians, to be Christ-like. When people see you, they see the face of God, they see the face of Jesus. This God has called you to serve other people in his stead until he comes back. He wants to use you. That's why, again, saved people serve people. There's going to be a picture on the screen of a couple you guys all know and love. And this is a picture of the Thomases. Guys, give it up for the Thomases. George and Mari Thomas have been serving with HSM since the year 2005. Since the year, some of you guys were not even born in 2005. You're like, what is that? A gasp of air? Never. 2005, right? And, and they had a son who went through HSM, uh, went through small group. Mary actually led a small group through uh, HSM, saw kids graduate as well. But they've decided to continue to serve with us. In fact, this picture was taken last year at our Christmas Blitz. This year, it's about to be a lock-in. Hey, yo. Like, it's going to be an awesome time. But they decided to come and give of themselves. In fact, last uh, Friday at FNL, they were out there flipping burgers with Jeremy Benz. They flipped about 300 or 400 burgers. Can you imagine? Just burger after burger and cheese and just having conversations with every young man and every young woman who goes through that space. What they're doing is giving themselves. They trust and they believe that after, as they serve others that God is using them to bring change and life unity. Now, it's almost like the way Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians. He says it this way. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.20, that we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Now, that's hard. Like, that's a bar. The fact that God wants to use you to speak through and bring healing to people. And you might be like, dude, I'm not anything. I'm not. Dude, check it out. These people, just like George and Mary, there are people who specifically will only hear the gospel if you go. I'm not at your school. I don't go to the same coffee shops you do. I don't go to the same laundromats you do. I, do not, I hate Disneyland. I'm not going to go there. I'm sorry. Like, this is the reality. You can take my kids. It's okay, and I'll pay you good money. Uh, but the reality is, like, there's people and, and, and situations that you're going to go that only you will reach those people. And so you become God's mouthpiece. It's as if God, like it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5.20, is making his appeal through you. He wants to use you. Matthew 14, 17 says this. Here, here we have, this is the disciples complaining, remember these guys? We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. That the real story is there's a young man who happened to be having his, his lunch. His mommy probably made him that lunch, you know, got bread, some fish, good stuff, powerful, right? And we don't know if it's pita bread or it's focusia, whatever bread, I don't know. Like white bread on rye, I don't know. It's, we don't know, right? That's not the point, right? It's not the point. The point is, this young man had five loaves and two fish. Five loaves and two fish. And I think some of us, the lies we believe is that, one, man, 
I have nothing to give. I have nothing to give. I am just a teenager. I'm just a boy. I'm just a girl. Girls will never make it in this world. Those are things you tell yourself. You might say, oh, guess what? I'm just, and you just fill in the gap. Whatever thing you want to downplay the gift God has given you, you just throw that in that gap. But the reality is this. You are enough because God is enough. It's as simple as that. Say it with me. You are enough because God is enough. And that's the end of the story. Because you've trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible says in Ephesians, he's given us all gifts and callings. And he's empowered you with the power of the Holy Spirit to go out and step into places where you don't even, don't even make sense for you to be here. To be in particular spaces. But God gives you favor to speak his gospel, to bring peace, love, unity. Because you trust him at his word. Because you make it all about Jesus. You trust that he will use you. This is a book that we've been reading with our HSM staff called No Little People, No Little Places. And this guy called Francis Schaefer put these two sermons together. Great book. Buy it, read it. It'll take you maybe less than an hour. But the quote says this. Consider the mighty ways in which God used a dead stick of wood. God so used a stick of wood can be a banner cry for each of us. Though we are limited and weak in talent, physical energy, and psychological strength, we are not less than a stick of wood, but as the rod of Moses had to become the rod of God, so that which is me must become the me of God. Then I can become useful in God's hands. We think about Moses, and all he did was grab this dead stick, this stick that he used to shepherd these animals, these sheep, and yet God used this almost insignificant thing in his hands to make a big difference. What about you? You what is the, 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 the rod of God, the, the me of God? What are the things that you are holding on to that God wants to use? The second lie is this. We believe, oh, guess what? Someone else will do it. Or it will be okay eventually. You know what? They need help with buddy break. Uh, they got a bunch of people who volunteer there. Guess what? Look at this youth group. We average, what, 300 people for both services every weekend? And small groups, maybe the same number of people? There's about 600 kids. We'll have all kinds of people come for this Halloween night. Not true. We need help with all kinds of people to hold babies on Sunday morning so parents can hear the gospel. It will be a blessing for you to serve at 11 a.m. or 9 a.m. and come to 11 or come to the 5 p.m. and spend that time holding this. You're like, you know what? There'll, there'll be someone else to do that. Someone else can do that. The church is big. They can hire someone. Guys, that's not the reality. That's a lie we tell ourselves. But the reality is this. The truth is when God puts it as a burden on your heart, it's very likely it's for you to act. God has asked you to step into that place. That's why it's on your heart as a need, as a burden to say, oh, my gosh, someone needs to hold the babies? And you're like, I, should I? No, someone else would do it. No, no. Lean into that. God is asking you to do that. That's why, again, saved people serve people. But I won't hold you. The truth is serving people gets messy, right? You know why? Because of people. Like it just, that's the reality. It just gets messy because people themselves are also messy. And what we see Jesus not do is that Jesus does not send these people away because he's tired and he's also hungry and he's grieving the death of his cousin and it's an inconvenient time. But out of love, he decides to love them well. He does not send them away. Why? Because people are the point. People are always the point. We love people, no matter their shape, color, size, uh, gender, whatever, all those things. We, we love them. 
Call them to Christ. Love them well. Allow the Lord to do his miracle-working power in them. We do not send them away. We bring them in and allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in them. It's said this way in Proverbs 14.4. For those who are horse people, you'll get this even more so. Right. How many horse people we got in the house? There you go. All right. I see you, horsey girl. All right. Get up. What happens is this. In Proverbs 14.4, the Bible tells us that when there are no oxen, the manger is empty. But from the strength of an ox come abundant harvests. If you have a horse in your stable, you're going to have horse poop. That's a reality. Horses are not clean. You have to clean them and brush them and clean out the hooves. Like, you got to do all the things. You're like, what's he going to say next? This guy's random, I know. Like, he's going to, you're going to have to take care of all the things involved in taking care of this animal. But there is, the truth is, the joy of having this creature, this animal, this beautiful uh, 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 creation with you is that you're able to Go for a ride. You're able to bring people on rides. You're able to do all these different things with this animal. Why? Because you're putting in the time and the work. It's going to be difficult. It will cost you something. Uh, the next verse in verse 19 tells us that Jesus directed the people to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up into heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. First of all, we see this. This young man who uh, was made lunch by his mom or mommy or aunt, or I don't know, whoever, uh, uncle, cousin, sister, goes out there with his indescript bread and two fish, and he decides to give it to Jesus. Now, have you guys ever like, had like the last four or five fries like on your plate or on your like little box, you know, depending where you go to eat in and out, Chick-fil-A, whatever? You guys can fight later on about that. Like, cut, like, Whoever has the last, like, fry, like, that separates relationships. Like, that starts wars. Like, that's just crazy stuff. So you imagine this young man is obedient to give up of his food to Jesus. A man he's never met. He just heard him speaking. Or the disciples who are willing to obey and trust and give that away. Like, let's just, okay, you prayed. Um, that sounds crazy, Jesus. I'm just going to pass this out. And what they do is they are obedient. See, the Christian life is marked by obedience. It's marked by obedience. Just trust God and go. Just trust God at his word and step into what he's called you to. Let's put that verse back up real quick. Now, the reality is that these disciples end up having this bread. Now, the issue is, or the mind is, Where's the bread at? Where's the, there's bread? Throw me, throw me that bread. My man. All right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Y'all, y'all, welcome to church, you guys. Calvary Community Church. I am your pastor. Anyway, um, what happens is Jesus gets this bread and fish. He lifts it up to heaven. He begins to pray, right? And then he, he, op- he passes it to disciples, and then disciples do what? They pass it on to the other. Now, the Bible records in different places were about 5,000 people. Uh, some people believe because there's 5,000 men, there was about 5,000 women. Because when they counted numbers, they counted the men in the area. So let's say you could double that easily and say maybe there was 5,000 other m- women. That's about 10,000. Let's say there's about 2,000 kids. So some people would surmise maybe 12,000 people are at this feeding, right? But even if we went with 5,000, after, let me see, one, two, who wants some bread? You want some bread? Three, four, five. Oh, guess what? After the fifth piece of bread, the bread's done. 
the bread's over. Why, why is the bread over? Because guess what? How many loaves were there? Five loaves. There were five loaves of bread, and there was two fish. So let's assume for the sake of our explanation here, there's two pieces of fish. Here's one for you. There you go. And here's another oily fish for you. Oh, there you go. Oh. And if it fell on the ground, that's sad. Well, the, the, the truth is this. After the fifth person or after the second person, you'd imagine that that fish and that bread was done. It's over. Right? It's a sad commercial. It's over. Like, it, that's it. But that's not what happened. The Bible tells us the disciples gave them to the people. Meaning what happened was the miracle of multiplication happened in the hands of the disciples as they just kept passing out more and more and more and more bread. It never ended. It kept coming and coming. There was so much bread. The reality is this. This miracle, this miracle happened. Eyes up on me. I know the bread's here and you're hungry. You can go in and out after. No worries. This miracle happened in the hands of the disciples. The question is, will you be willing to be used by God? We allow him to use you as his miracle-working piece, to use you as a miracle-working person. Are you willing to step into the will of God with that and allow him to use you to bring healing and wholeness to those who are around you? Like, are you willing to do just that? I ask you this question. What do you have in your hands? Like, what do you have in your hands? Currently, I have hands, and my hands have bread. Uh, you have an iPhone, I don't know. Like, what do you have in your hand? But really, do you have time? Do you have talent? Do you have emotion? Do you have a, an opportunity what is it that God's put in your hand that you're like, this is insignificant and it's not worth anything, but in the hands of God, God can do mighty things. What is the rod of God? What is the me of God? What are the things, again, that God can use that you have in your hands that God will use to bless people around you? The verse next tells us that they all ate and they were satisfied, right? Now, you guys have all been to little parties, little charcuterie, whatevers, and like you guys were broke and bought like one bag of fries and all shared it together, whatever, right? But there's moments you've eaten and you're like, man, it's not giving satisfaction. Like it's not enough. Like it's not enough. This wedding didn't give us all the food. I am hungry. I need to go find uh, McDonald's. Like it's just like, why am I going? Taco Bell, is it open? Like you, you, you have... Like a hunger. But the Bible tells us that there was enough food that all of them ate. Everyone ate. And they were satisfied. And it says that after the fact that everyone ate and satisfied, there were 12 basketfuls left after the fact. So for you who has this question, if I give, what about me? Well, he's promised again, if I give, if I trust him, Man, these people, at least from Scripture, they all ate, they were all satisfied, and there was leftovers. And it's a fair question. If I give, what about me? The real question you should be asking, or really what question you are asking, is serving Christ. Like, is, is serving Christ worth it? Is serving people for the call of Christ actually worth it? Is it worth my time? Is it worth my emotion? Is it worth my, 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 my talent? Is it worth all of who I am? Now, 
it might seem like that this is an unfair question, but what I love about the Bible, about God, is He recognizes that we all struggle with those things, struggle with those questions of how God would take care of us and how we do all these things. And we worry about these things. It's honest. It's open. It's, he, he, he allows people to doubt, and you come to him, and he doesn't turn you away. He doesn't push you away. Again, people are the point. He won't push you away. He invites you into his loving arms. He is burden bearer. He carries it for you. And the disciples have the same question in the book of Mark, and they ask it this way. Well, they ask the question, and he tells them. He answers them this way. He says, truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundredfold there as much in this present age. Let's pause. Jesus said, you're going to lose mother and father and all these different things in this present age, but you also gain a hundredfold in this present age. Now I am looking forward to heaven. Like, I, I would want right now for the Lord to just come and just, just take me. Like, that'd be great. Like, I would love that. Snatch me up, Jesus. Like, take me now. Like, that'd be great. But he's not doing that. And he's promised that, and we all look for heaven, right? We're, we're hoping for heaven. But he goes, even now, the kingdom is meant to be expanded, is meant to be sent forth here and now through us. And he says, you can experience the joy of the kingdom here and now. And then he says, moving forward, he says the same thing, that homes and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and, fa- and fields, along with persecutions, there is that rough part, the tough part, the difficult part, the sacrificial parts, and in the age to come, eternal life. Eternal life. You'll gain all these things and more here and in the kingdom to come. Two things I believe happen when we serve Jesus self-sacrificially, when we choose to live and love like him, one, you will lose everything. Hand claps, hand claps. You will lose everything. That's great. Oh, I love losing everything. No one does. No one does. But you will lose everything. That's the promise. It's going to cost you everything. Your notoriety, your idea of who you thought you were, your idea of capacity, what you thought you had in your hands. Like, you lose everything. But with Christ, the second thing that happens is you will gain everything. You gain everything. All that you've lost or thought you've lost, you gain even much more. Why? Because many people in this room, whether they're old or young, are asking this question, who am I? Where, where do I fit in? What's my purpose? And the truth is this. Once you trust Jesus with that, as you give of yourself, and you might be like, this just sounds like a, a drum and beating Trust me. Trust God in his word. Put him to the test. Step into those roles. Ask him, God, where can I serve? Where can I become more and more like you? And you'll watch that the weight of that responsibility in and of itself allows you to walk in a narrow path. For some of us, we feel that weight as small group leaders, as people who lead and love you in this room on Sundays. As we have conversations, you want to be people who lead and love the way Jesus does. And so it helps us, one, what happens is this, your identity is secured. Two, what happens is your purpose is then made clear. You understand what you're supposed to do, what you were meant to do, who you were made to live for. It becomes very clear. The third thing is this, your joy is then also renewed. It's only this last month, in the month of September, 
where uh, from my first youth group when I started in the, about 2010, so I've been doing ministry since 2010, I'm now the age of 32, um, seeing these young people get married. Last month, literally last month, I had two weddings, uh, two baby showers, one baby dedication, and a funeral. This all happened. And these are, you might say, the funeral is a grim thing. No, it's a gospel moment. It's a joy to be able to walk through life with all these young people and see their lives changed and move on and flourish by the power of the gospel. And God wants to give you that joy. Again, that acronym was joy. Jesus first, others, and then yourself. As you serve the Lord Jesus, others come to see him and you have full joy as you trust him. Again, ultimately what happens is this, you begin to live and love like Jesus. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up. Here's the truth. Whatever you fear you have to lose, you have much more to gain by serving Jesus. You have much more to gain by serving our King Jesus because saved people serve other people. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this evening. Thank you for your word and the fact that you invite us into this relationship where we are able to trust you at your word that we're able to see our purpose, see our identity, even when it's difficult, knowing it's going to cost us something. We know and trust that when you say in your word that we gain more in this present age and the time to come, eternal life, Lord, that you will fill our all in all, that any fear we have, you fill in the gaps. Why? Because we are enough, because, Lord, you are enough. And for those who are on the fringe trying to serve, not, not sure, Lord God, give them clarity what they are to do. For those who are unbelievers hearing this for the first time, Lord God, stir in them a desire to step out of themselves, to trust you at your word, and learn to love you by serving others. But first, knowing you, the author and finisher of their faith. We thank you, Lord. We bless you. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Calvary HSM podcast. We would love if you could connect with us on social media using the handle at Calvary HSM 805 on Instagram or going to our website, calvarywestlake.org slash HSM. We always have fun things going on and we want you to be a